stage, I'm an alcoholic. Hey, guys. Got some alcoholics? Yeah! We're gonna rock and roll. First and foremost, I want to thank the committee. It is, yeah, it takes a lot of blood, sweat, tears, inventory to put on an event like this, and I want you to know it has been phenomenal. The speakers who have spoken before me have been absolutely top class, which is not fun when i got to follow them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We had a magician. I, I, don't, I didn't plan any magic tricks. Oh, let me see if I got one. Let me see. I will make your defects disappear. Nice. My work is done. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, also, I want to thank each and every one of you for being here today. And, and there are people in this room that my life and my sobriety is better for having known you and the experience to meet you. And if you're here thinking, and thinking Paige couldn't possibly be talking about me, I want you to know you're wrong. I'm thinking about you. You make my life better and you make my sobriety better for being a part of it. And I also know it's the Medicine Hat Tiger season opener. Uh, so extra thank you for sticking it out coming this. I know you guys want to stay sober. You're missing the hockey game. Awesome. And, and, if, and some of you might be wondering, hey, Paige, she looks a little familiar. Yeah, I was here last year. And if you're like, hey, why, why would we have her come and talk twice? Uh, if you're wondering who's responsible for that, it's Mark. It's Mark T right in the back. Uh, and if, if you don't know what to do with that information, let me tell you. Call him on Mark. Call him do. Invited page back again. So that's what we'll do. We'll enjoy it. Woo! Oh, man. I'm glad you guys are here because normally I'm not going to get a woo on inventory. So I love it. And I want you to know, like, I have a passion and an enthusiasm and excitement for Alcoholics Anonymous but I didn't when I, got, when I first got here. See, when it came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was beaten and I was broken and I did not know what was wrong with me. See, I was dying of an illness that I did not think and did not believe and did not know that I had. And I came to, or I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and I would do this thing. And I'm sure it's this thing that you wonderful, lovely people in Medicine Hat would never do. It's called judging the speaker. Yeah, you guys, you guys wouldn't do that. I would do that. I was real sick when I came to AA. Um, but I, I would judge the speaker, and I, I would do this thing where I would hear somebody share their story, and I think, whoa, I'm way worse than that guy. And the very next person would share, and I think, man, I'm not as bad as him. You see, I was looking for all the ways I didn't fit. I was looking all, for all the ways I didn't belong. I was looking for all the ways that I was different than you. And you know what I was doing? I was comparing the consequences of my alcoholism, but I did not understand what my alcoholism was, and I did not understand what it meant to be an alcoholic. You know, and I came here with a whole lot of andas. You know, I'm an alcoholic anda, and I had a whole lot of yeah buts. I'm an alcoholic yeah but, I'm not as bad as him. You know, and, and it was, we have two sentences on page 44 that I can turn to questions that hit me between the eyes. And I could not deny the truth of who I was or what I was anymore. On page 44, the chapter, We Agnostic, it, it, Agnostics, it says, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or, I'll be honest with you guys, I'm an and. I am an and. Or, if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. 
and that was me. When I honestly wanted to, when I came to the morning after and I said, that is it, I am never going to drink again. That had no effect. A day, a week, a month, several months down the line, I found myself drunk again and I did not know how it happened. I did not want it to happen, but it happened. And then, once I take anything, any drink of alcohol, it's a little thing that switches off in the back of my head and it tells me more. I don't know about you guys, but I take a drink of alcohol and I get thirstier. You see, I have no control over the amount I take. Lack of control and lack of choice, that's what it means to be an alcoholic and that was me. I couldn't deny who I was anymore. And as an alcoholic, I come to find out I'm abnormal. Some of you guys are like, yeah, Paige, we know. We can tell. You know what I'm saying? You're like, ooh, she abnormal accurate. That is an accurate assessment. Fair enough, I've inventoried it. Don't you worry. But what I come to find out is I have an abnormal reaction to alcohol. And I don't have one, like a good old alcoholic. I can't just have one. I gotta have two, right? So I got this twofold abnormal reaction that I have to alcohol. And the first thing that is abnormal about me as an alcoholic that does not happen to non-alcoholics is when I take a drink, I experience this. Oh, yes. It is peace, it is relief, it is ease, it is comfort. To misquote a part of our book, a new world comes into view. My skin fits for the first time. That hole in the depth of my soul is filled. The screaming from inside of me finally stops. Yeah, that doesn't happen to normal people, even a little bit. I don't, I don't know what they do, but they probably enjoy the hockey game. I should have looked up the score before I started so I could keep you guys in the loop. But that's not, that doesn't happen to them. Now, I want to be quite frank with you. It is nothing less than a privilege for me to be of service to Alcoholics Anonymous. I am deeply and profoundly honored to be asked to speak here again. You know, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I wasn't invited many places. I was beaten and I was broken and I had burned my life to the ground. I had broken hearts and absolutely destroyed trust. But I want you to know if that was the only thing that was abnormal about my reaction to alcohol, I would not be here. I'd be out there doing that. Because that worked. That worked. That was the missing piece. But you see, there's something else that's abnormal about me as an alcoholic. I take that drink. I get that. Oh. And then I need more. And the more that I drink, the more that I have to drink. See, I start and I get thirstier. I take that drink and it demands a second. And that second insists on four and four will not relent until I've had eight and eight will not stop until I've had 16 and so on and so forth. You know, and I, I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't happen to me with any other beverage, <laughs> ever. Listen, my stomach stopped handling coffee. I share that with you because I want you to feel bad for me. You know what I mean? A little bit of sympathy. Oh, I can't have coffee. Um, no sympathy. That's cool. I deserve it. Uh, oh, thank you. Sympathy over here. That's what I needed, my validation. Funny enough, not enough either. I want more. Crazy. Um, but, so I start my day. I start my day with an Earl Grey tea. Not once have I ever gone on an Earl Grey tea bender. I have not slammed back all the Earl Grey tea in the house. Not once 
Have I ever, like, gone for three weeks back to back to back Earl Grey teas? Not once have I drank an all the Earl Grey tea in the pantry, reaching for the chamomile, trying to snort it, because it'll be the same. It's got to work, you know? That's never happened to me. And if you're here today and you're not sure, hey, do I have this physical allergy, we can play a little game. And it'll be a little show of hands. And it's, it's whether we played this game before. Has anyone here ever played bottom beer roulette? Now, if you don't know what bottom beer roulette is, it's a little game. It uh, happens when the non-alcoholics have uh, passed out, gone to bed, or coupled up and made their different bad decisions. And you're going around drinking everyone's bottom beers. Yes. Trying to avoid the one with the cigarette butts? Yeah! Now, got some bottom beer roulette players. Woo. Now, I want you to know, if you finish the one with the cigarette butts, you definitely got the allergy. There's no debate there. I, uh, I, I didn't. Still got the allergy, though. So I have this abnormal reaction to alcohol. But again, if that was all that was abnormal about me as an alcoholic, I would not be here. See, what happens for me is the result of the inability to control the amount that I drink. I burn my life to the ground. I destroy my relationships. I destroy my life. I cross those lines in the sand that I said I would never cross. I can't look myself in the mirror. I hate who I am. I hate who I've become. And I have the slightest inkling that alcohol might have something to do with it. And then I say, that's it. I'm never going to drink again. And we were talking about this earlier today. What I want you to know is every single time I said that is it, I am never going to drink again. What I want you to know is that I meant it. In the depth of my soul, I meant it. I did not want to hurt my family in the way that I was hurting them. I didn't want to break their hearts. I didn't want to betray their trust. I did not want to live the way that I was living. But it had no effect. You see, I come to find out I also have this abnormal reaction to sobriety. Woo! It's a weird place for woo. No judge. Woo! Well, here's why the woo. We got a solution, guys. We're going to dive into that here in a minute. But see, I don't know about you. Has anyone here in your life ever said, stop drinking, you'll feel better? Yeah? Isn't it, isn't it usually like the people that love us the most? You know, our beloved Al-Anons, the moms, the dads, the spouses, those jerks, just love us the most. And they say, just stop drinking, you'll feel better. And you know, they're right. See, I stop drinking, I feel better. You know, I feel pain better. You know that depression where you can't get out of bed? I feel that better. You know that anxiety where somebody is stabbing my shoulder blades? That feeling, I feel that better. You know that emptiness and that hole in the depth of my soul? I feel that better. You know that suicidal ideation? I don't want to be here anymore. I feel that better. I feel like I'm a raw, exposed nerve ending, and for some ungodly reason, the wind is blowing, and I can't stand how I feel. And if you ask me, Paige, how you doing? What am I going to say? Happy to be here. Happy to be sober. I'll take 24 and pass it on. You know? Because I don't know what's wrong with me. And I share that with you because that, there are people who are non-alcoholics 
who experience what we describe as the spiritual malady. But I, I share that with you because I thought the spiritual malady was my andas. I thought y'all just came to AA, hung out in the room, had the coffee with the creamer that won't ever stir in no matter how hard you try. There's that little clump that's always floating. And you were just happy, joyous, and free. Like, woo, happy to be here, happy to be sober, loving life. And that was not me. I was sitting around the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and I wanted to die. And I was drowning from something I didn't know I had. And so I share that with you today because, man, if that's you, if that's you today, what I want you to know is there is a solution. And I, I want you to know there is a solution if you're new to this thing. If you have one day, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. If you've got, like, if you've been around this thing for a while and you've been in and out and in and out, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. And if you've been here a while and the magic is gone and you're feeling that pain and the problems are piling up, you know those problems. And man, I got problems. And this whole AA thing, it couldn't possibly solve them. What I want you to know is we have a solution for that. But I didn't know that when I got here. And so I'll be honest with you guys, if the spiritual malady was my only abnormal reaction to sobriety, I would not be here. And I share that with you because I would have ended my life. And that was a thing I tried a number of times. But you see, what makes me an alcoholic is that I, when I am as sober as I am today and my illness is untreated, I get a thought. And that thought happens in my mind, and that thought is a lie. But you know what? When it hits, it sounds like a good idea. And it sounds a little something like, this time will be different. And what, this time will be different? Eh, eh, we gotcha. Uh, what about nobody will ever know? What about, yeah? What about I'll go out for three drinks? Yeah? What about a little more realistic, I'll go out for three days? Woo! I'll get it back together on Monday and it'll be fine, right? Anyone ever have the, if you're feeling the way that I was feeling, you'd have to get drunk too, right? I'm going to kill myself anyway, so why don't I take a drink? You know what I'm saying? I get that thought that this time will be different. Nobody will ever know just one. It can't hurt me this time, so here's how. That is my experience, and that is really what we describe as the crux of our problem. You see, once I start to drink, I can't control the amount that I take because I burn my life to the ground at this abnormal physical reaction. I can't drink. But when I say that's it, I'm never going to drink again. I can't stay sober. You see, I can't drink, but I can't stay sober. But I can't drink, but I can't stay sober. And I get to get this small little lens into the hopelessness of my alcoholic dilemma. And what I had was a step one experience. A step one experience. And my step one experience was not, I'll never drink again. My step one experience, and my step one experience did not happen at the depths of my alcoholism. It was not the worst drunk I'd ever been on. But it was that deep realization that in and of myself, I could not stay sober. I would drink again. It's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when for an alcoholic of my type. I would relapse. And so step one is not I can't ever drink again. Step one for me is I can't ever drink again and I will. I'm in trouble. I'm in a hopeless position, a hopeless state of mind and body. But I come to a place like this with people like you, and I see that you have something that I don't have. 
You're sober and you're happy and there's a light on in your eyes, even on weekends. Took me a little while to believe weekends were a thing. I don't know why, I went to weekend meetings. Like, I don't know what that was about. But I could see that you had something I, had, I did not have. And all that was asked of me to believe in the second step is it, and this is, this is it. If I can't do any more than this, this is step two. Can I believe that the spiritual awakening, the miracle that has happened in the lives of these other drunks could happen to me if I do the things they do? That's it. That's it. Now, I want you to know, when I got here, I overcomplicated the heck out of it. I overthought it. I, uh, you know, and I'm, again, I'm sure that nobody, nobody in this room today could relate to overthinking anything. I'm sure I'm, sure I'm very unique about that. Um, over here, being special. Uh, but I overthought it, and I overcomplicated it, and I had a lot of perceived, because they're not real, these perceived barriers. To belief in a power greater than myself, but I could not deny the miracle that had happened to you. And you know, one of the things, I, I won't talk about all the barriers that I had to belief in a power greater than myself, but one of the ones that I want to share with you is why. See, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I had a bit of a why problem. Because <laughs> I, I was like, why? If there is a God, why? Why do I have alcoholism? If there is a God, why did I go through the things that I went through before my alcoholism? If there is a God, why did I go through some of the things that I went through in my alcoholism? And if there is a God, why did I experience the pain and suffering, some of that pain and suffering that I experienced in sobriety? Why? Why? And here's my experience. I cannot answer your why. But what I can do is share with you the answer that I found. You see what happened for me? is I began to work the steps. And I began to put that word God in, in, in the steps. I had a bit of a God resentment. By the way, if you're wondering, if I have a resentment towards something, I have belief in it. Therefore, step two, no problem. Doesn't say we have to like that power. Just says we gotta believe that there could be, right? And so what I began to do is I began to develop a relationship with this power. And you see, in uh, step two in our book, Alcoholics Anonymous, step two is in the chapter, we agnostics. And the word agnostic is Greek in origin. And that word means without knowledge. And you see, it says we agnostics. Not the chapter to the agnostic, not the agnostic afterward, but we agnostic, right? Yeah. Um, but we agnostic. And see, that's the thing, when I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, it doesn't matter my belief, it doesn't matter my faith, I am struggling with agnosticism, whether I think so or not. You see that word gnosis, the Gnostic, it's not the intellectual head knowing. Uh, do we got some people here who are sponsees and sponsors? Are we involved in sponsorship? I was a little quiet there for a minute. I was giving like, let's get you connected after the meeting. And if you are involved in sponsorship, what I want you to know is you've probably had this experience. Either you've been the one saying it or you've been the one listening to it. It's known as, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, 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 I know. I know, Paige, oh, you know that, right? I want you to know that 
You know, you know, yeah, I know. I know you're your nose, right? That is not the knowing that we're talking about here at Alcoholics Anonymous. It is not an intellectual knowing of the head. The word gnosis in its ancient Greek was referring to a deeper heart-level knowing of God, of a power greater than myself. You see, when I come here, I've got no knowing of God. Man, who invited me? Because I'm going to go on this whole word kick thing. It's Mark. Remember, it's Mark. Take your complaints to him. Strongly worded inventory. Eh, bring you closer to that guy. It'll be great. But, uh, I don't know. Um, but you see, in step 11, what do I seek to do? I seek to improve my conscious contact with God. See, the word conscious is Latin in origin. Nothing to do with Greek, just fun with words. I know. Uh, fun with words, not a good lot. Woo! But you see, conscious. It's Latin in origin, and what it means is con is with, and shus or sar means knowing. See, I go from without knowing to with knowing. And how do I get from that place if I have no knowledge, I have no understanding, I just barely have belief in a power greater than myself to a deep and profound relationship? Well, steps three through ten sound like a good idea. And it is those action steps that clear away the stuff inside of me that is blocking me from this power. It is those steps that allow me to build a relationship with something I didn't like, I didn't understand, I didn't know when I got here. And Carl Jung, uh, uh, in our book, he gave us knowledge of our solution being the spiritual awakening. And it's a beautiful, wonderful story how that all came together. And if you're struggling with a belief of a power greater than yourself, I'd encourage you to look at the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because the history of Alcoholics Anonymous is all about seconds and inches. By seconds and inches, none of us should be here alive and sober today. And see, there's this famous uh, BBC interview of Carl Jung. And they asked him, they didn't say Carl, they weren't like, homie, Homie Carl, homie Jay, they didn't say that. Uh, but Carl, when you, were, when you were growing up, did you believe in God? And he said, yeah. Growing up, I, I had some belief I believed in God. And he said, do you believe now? And he says, no. Then there's a pause. And he says, I've got no need for belief. And then there's a pause. And he says, I know. And that is the knowing that is on offer in Alcoholics Anonymous. It is not an intellectual exercise. It is an experience that happens through action. You know what would be annoying? Is anyone here ever have one of those days where they just wanted a drink in their, in their uh, active alcoholism? And man, I just need that drink. I got to take that edge off. And somebody sat down and started to intellectualize alcohol. And we're like, here are the molecules that it's made of. Here is the effects that you can get. Man, that's not the same thing as taking a drink. And that's what it's like here. I'm not here to intellectualize that power. I'm here to experience that power. That's what I'm after. Now, again, I want to go back to that story of why, because that was a barrier for me. Why? I can't answer your why, but I can share with you the answer that I found for myself. And you see, being an alcoholic is a little like being in the desert. And imagine... I'm lost in the desert. And as in the desert during the day, it's as hot as it is cold at night. And, you know, I've, I've ran out of food. I've ran out of water. And, you know, the, I, clearly I've got a pale complexion. I'm not doing well in the sun. I am sunburned. It's not good. You know what I mean? But dusk is starting to settle in. 
and I know that I'm not going to be able to make it through the night. In that moment, by some miracle of miracles, I am given a map, a way out of the desert, a way to freedom. In that moment, it's far more important that I use that map to figure out how to get the heck out of the desert than figure out how I got there in the first place. And you guys might figure out these wheels aren't doing well in sand. That'd be quite the conundrum, you know? And you see, the answer to my why happened as I sat down with another alcoholic and began to sit down with other alcoholics, sitting with them, going through this book, going through this work. You know, when I can sit down with another alcoholic and I can say, yes, me too. Yes, me too, I drank that way. Yes, me too, I felt that way. Yes, me too, I experienced that. Yes, me too, that thing happened to me. Yes, me too, I did that thing. That is when my why was answered. I'm not an alcoholic because anything to do with my family history, nothing to do with genetics for me. I am an alcoholic because I have been specifically made to help other alcoholics. I, you know, we had the magician. Man, it's in sitting down with another alcoholic, armed with facts about myself, armed with this book and the, and the specific directions in this book that my life takes on new meaning. And that is when the magic in Alcoholics Anonymous happens to be a small part of the miracle of someone else, to watch that hope come on in their eyes, to watch their life radically transform, to see their families begin to get well. You know, I'm so grateful Al-Anon is here today, Al-Anon participation, I have such respect for that fellowship. You know, in those early days, it wasn't just the alcoholic, the whole family would take the actions of these steps and would get well. Man, it is powerful what's on offer. And I didn't know that when I got here. And see, if step one is the idea that if unless I have some sort of miracle, I will drink again. And step two is a pretty good time to start believing in miracles. The third step is a decision. And it's not just a decision. It's simply a decision. It is a decision to dive into this work as a way of life like my life depends on it because it does. And if I understand the predicament that I have in step one, and if I understand the need that I have for a spiritual experience, man, that decision, it's not easy. But it's, it's the next logical thing. You know, um, you know, when I'm sitting at that third step, I don't know about you, maybe you guys were a little more open-minded than me, but I would see those steps on the wall, and I'd think, man, that does not look appealing. I was not like, oh boy, I just can't wait to do a four-step. I got a notebook right here to do that old four-step. I wasn't like, oh boy, just can't wait to make amends, even to my ex. I love that idea, you know? Great, great idea, no issues there. Prayer and meditation? Cool, got no issues. I love both. I've got no issues with meditation. You know what I mean? And working with other alcoholics? Oh, why, yes, they're so patient, reasonable, punctual, and not at all selfish or self-centered, a little like somebody I know that's me. <laughs> you know, I wasn't excited about these steps. But you know, the miracle of this thing is that doesn't matter. Did you know, did you know that it doesn't matter what I think about the steps. Did you know it doesn't matter what I feel about the steps? Did you know it does not matter if I think I am worthy of the steps? It doesn't matter if I think they're a good idea. What matters is if I do them. If I take the actions of the 12 steps, I will get well, often despite myself. But if I don't, I won't. 
And that has been my experience. So, that, I mean, that's the good news and that's the bad news. The good news is, woo, let's do the steps. The bad news is, woo, let's do the steps. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I dive in. Now, I got this metaphor. And, and if, you're, if you're picking up what I'm throwing down, if you're a fan of metaphors, awesome. If not, I am so sorry this talk's going to drag for you. I am. Apologize ahead of time. But if you're a fan of metaphors, what I have in the depth of my soul is a spiritual house. You picking up what I'm throwing down? And if so, now it's consensual. You don't have to have a spiritual house. But if you're picking up what I'm throwing down, at the depth of your soul, what I want you to know is that you have a spiritual house. Yeah, and I want you to know that house is good. That house is wonderful. Like, ooh, the property taxes on that spiritual house. Like, ooh, market value. I don't know how taxes work. Uh, <laughs> but, like, it is good. It has been created. It has been made by the most incredible, wonderful, capital D, capital A, divine architect. Your house is good. Your house is worthy. Now I'm going to go back to my house for a minute. I'm not talking about you. talking about me. The problem with my house is I'm a bit of a hoarder. Like, it is bad, guys. Call in TLC, call in the cameras. I am a spiritual hoarder. It's bad. Now, I know, I know you lovely, lovely people here in Medicine Hat can't relate to anything like this, but I got these things. They're called resentments. I know, just me. Um, and those resentments, they're like these newspapers that are decades old. And they're piled all the way from floor to ceiling. And you know, when those newspapers are piled all the way from floor to ceiling, it blocks out the light. See, the windows are covered and that light can't come in. And I'm sitting in that house in darkness. And again, I know it's just me and nobody here, but I got these things. And they're called fears. And my fears are like empty bottles and cans that are strewn all over the floor. And I can't step and I can't stand without them clanging and clattering and sound bigger and louder than they really are. And I know I'm alone on this one. I got this stuff. It's called sex conduct. It's a little like the dead cats behind the freezer. I know they're there. I can smell them. I also want to say no cats were harmed in the making of this spiritual metaphor. It is only a metaphor. Yes. No, no cats were harmed. And so what am I doing in that fourth step? Well, I'm going to have a look at those newspapers. And I'm going to start pulling them down one by one. And I'm going to start putting them into bags and boxes. And you know what those newspapers said? I, you know what I thought? I thought they said, extract or read all about it. Everyone else is a jerk. Turns out, I'm the jerk. That was news to me. And who would have thought that's where the freedom comes? In finding out that I was wrong. And one by one, I take down those newspapers. I put them into the bags. I put them into boxes. You know, what happens is that light begins to come into those windows. And in our book, we have a number of metaphors for God. God is light. And light is one of my favorite metaphors for God because light is not what I see. Light is the way in which I see. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, so we got a dark room over there. If I turn on the light, the whole room changes, and yet nothing has changed. You see, I begin to see the truth about these resentments, and I see the light, and everything has changed, and nothing has changed. If you have not had this experience, what I am talking about is my childhood got better. My childhood didn't change. My family got better. My family didn't change. Those jerks on the 
highway from Calgary to Medicine Hat. They were lovely, actually. They didn't change. But how I saw them changed. Everything changed, and yet nothing changed. And so I'm in that house, and as a result of relying on that light, I can see how I don't have to step and stand in that fear, and I can begin to clean it up and put it into bags and into boxes. And then I deal with the cats, and I come up with an ideal so that I can be a responsible spiritual pet owner in the future. And then I, in that fifth step, what do I do? See, in the fifth step, it says we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being. And there's two ways to look at the word admit. One is a bit of a confession. Like, I got to admit that I slept with your husband, I stole your car, and I peed on your carpet. That's a bit of a confession. I'm, in case you're wondering, that never, that never happened. It was linoleum. And so that, that's one way to look at the fifth step. But the other way to look at the fifth step is that word admit. So let's say we went to the, the Tigers hockey game, right? And we'd all have, each individually have a ticket. And what would it say on that ticket? It would say admit one. So another way to look at that fifth step is to be let in. To let in God and God's light and another human being. And so I do that. And I get all the garbage, all the stuff, all the junk outside of the house. And you know, six and seven is all about becoming willing and then asking for the spiritual garbage men to come and take it away. If you're struggling with the conception of a power greater than yourself, feel free to use the 1-800-GOT-JUNK guy. You know, cosmic junk removal. Because that's what it is. And, you, you know, it's one of those things. Like, I come to this thing, and I want to be in defect removal. You know what I mean? I come to 6 and 7. I want to do it. I want to be in defect removal, baby. But in the third step, I was fired. I was fired from the management position of my life. And I come to find out the defect removal? That's upper management. I'm in the willingness department. Because I don't know about you, but I have never overcome any of my defects of character on my own. I haven't overcome that perfectionism or what you guys think of me. I'm doing well though, right? Right, right, right? right? I, I didn't really work hard on my anger and get that under control. I didn't deal with my procrastination later, but you see what happens. Yeah. What happens is I show up and I seek God's will for me and the defects fall. You know, I have sponsees that sometimes ask me, Paige, how do you demonstrate the willingness that is asked in step six? And for me, it's a line that comes in Bill's story, and it says we must turn in all things to the Father of light who presides over us all, seeking God's will in everything I do. And when I do that, man, I don't know if your experience is like my experience, but a lot of times I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and I'm like, hey, I didn't do that stuff anymore. I didn't say that thing that I normally say. And who I am is radically transformed. It falls from me. And you, still, you know, one of the things is... I really come to believe that Alcoholics Anonymous, it works radically different than any other area of my life. Any other area of my life, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to climb this ladder of success. I'm trying to do better and be better and achieve more. But that's not what Alcoholics Anonymous has been for me. It's been an outpouring of myself to the unconditional love that is the God of my understanding. 
That's what it has been for me. See, I come to Alcoholics Anonymous and I come to find out I cannot overcome the insanity of the first drink on my own. And in the third step, I come to find out I can't overcome self. And I was trying to use a lot of self to overcome self and it didn't work. I come to my resentments and I can't overcome them on my own. I can't do anything about my fears on my own. And I can't do anything about my defects of character and what am I doing? I'm giving more and more of myself to God's love. That's what I'm doing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I got a metaphor because I got a lot of them. <laughs> and you see, what I've found is sobriety and deeper than that, emotional sobriety, which is not a luxury for somebody of my type. But emotional sobriety, sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous, it is a gift. Now we got some big book nerds. Got some big book nerds here? Yeah, yeah my peeps. So the big book nerds will do this thing that I do, which is um, actually... Any um actually? And the um actually in the book, it says a price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. Now, I know before I pay that price, it seems real hefty. But you see, when I start paying that price and destroying that self-centeredness, I realize I was giving away that which was keeping me sick. And that's a part of the gift. And you see the emotional sobriety and sobriety, permanent sobriety. See here, we can be recovered. That does not mean cured. That means the mental obsession is removed, contingent upon the actions that I take today. Today. You see, I get to be recovered based on those actions. And it's a lot like Christmas morning. You remember Christmas morning maybe as a kid? The tree is all aglow with the lights got the tinsel and the balls, and underneath that tree is a gift. And that gift has been perfectly and immaculately wrapped. And it's got a name tag on it. You know, just imagine the most beautiful bow, the most beautiful wrapping. It's got a name tag. I want you to know it's got your name on it. Your name. And so what do I do? On Christmas morning, I need to wake up. And I need to go down those stairs, down those steps. And you see, the gift's already there. I didn't earn it. I didn't become worthy of it. I did have to do some work to get it, but when it was already there. And it's important for me to remember that when I think I've done something. Because what have I done? I've taken some actions that I didn't want to take, that I didn't like, that I didn't think would help me, and I received a gift that was on offer. I've received a gift. And you know, um, I was, I was telling my sponsor about driving out here, and I was like, we saw antelope, and I was absolutely, yeah, I was the coolest, right? We saw the antelope? Sorry, I put him on the spot, it's high pressure, no fair, that's fair. <laughs> Poor kid, it's a bit hard for him, he spent a lot of time with me in an enclosed space, which is a lot for anyone. Uh, <laughs> but we were driving down Highway 1, and we see these antelope, and it reminds me of this metaphor that I've got for step nine, because of course I do. You see, you see we're, you know, we're, on, we're on the prairies, we're in the, not far from the Badlands, and, and we got these animals that live out here, and, and we got some storms, some storms that'll rage, like rage on. And, and you know what happens is when there's a storm, the animals like the antelope or animals like the cows, the, what they'll do is they'll try to avoid the storm. And, and what happens is that prolongs the storm because the more they try to avoid it, the more they draw it out. But then what we have is the animal known as the buffalo. And the buffalo, if you've ever seen them, they got that hair on their head and on their shoulders. And what do they do? 
They walk towards the storm and they walk through the storm. And in so doing, that cuts the storm in half. And you see, that's what amends is all about. I want to antelope my way far away from the amends process before I've done it. I mean, maybe y'all are more spiritually well than me. You guys, you guys are like, oh no, I'm so excited to do amends. Okay, cool, what's that like? <laughs> but I wanted to antelope away. But what I need to do is become the buffalo and face the storm. And you know, we have these step nine promises. When did they come true? About halfway through our amends. You know, and what's the difference between me and a buffalo? If you're being mean, you can say not much. <laughs> uh, but what's the difference between me and the buffalo? The difference between me and the buffalo is that I am also the storm. You see, in the book it talks about how the alcoholic is like the tornado roaring its way through the lives of others. That was me. Sweet affections are dead. I killed them. Sweet relationships are dead. I killed them. Affections have been uprooted. I uprooted them. The home has been on turmoil. I caused that turmoil. I am also the storm. And you see what happens for me is I, I you know, I, if, you, if there's anyone here who has not made amends or is afraid of the amends process, I want to offer you, it's a sneaky little promise that's in the book. A sneaky little one. I love the sneaky prayers. I love the sneaky promises. Because I'm fun and a nerd. Woo! Oh, thank you. That's lovely. I was expecting, like, oh, God. Um, but a sneaky little promise. See, in step nine, it says in nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. Do you know what is unexpected for an alcoholic that is about to make amends? That it goes well. It blows my mind. I think I'm going to be arrested for making amends where I didn't even commit a crime. You know what I mean? It goes well. And so that's, that's, and man, that is where this thing really takes off. You know, and, and here's the thing, is, is for somebody like me, I can't have what I call a set it and forget it program. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous is nothing less than a way of life. I can't, I talk about it, I can't have crockpot sobriety, set it and forget it. I gotta have that stir-fry sobriety where I'm in it and I'm working it. And you see steps 10 and 11 and 12 become a new part of this way of life. Now, if I go back to my house metaphor, we got that house cleaned up, but I got to continue to keep it clean. And I do that in steps 10 and 11. And there's three reasons why I got to keep my house clean. The first is, I don't know if you saw it when I got here, it was bad. Like, thank goodness there's not a spiritual homeowners association. Like, I don't, like, ooh, it would be bad. Like, it was bad. And you see, if I ever let my house get as bad as it did when I got here, I will drink again. And that's one of the reasons that i got to continue to keep this house clean. Now, the other reason I've got to continue to keep my house clean is because my life depends on showing you how to keep yours clean. My life depends on it. On page 20 of our book, it says our very lives as ex-prom drinkers depend upon our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. My life depends on showing you how to clean your house. 
And it does no good if I don't know how to keep my house clean trying to show you how to keep yours clean. If I don't know how to use that spiritual Swiffer, I can't show you. And you know what I found is the more that I continue to take my inventory and find my faults and amend my wrongs, the more I have to offer and the more my life takes on new meaning. And there's a third reason. There's a third reason I gotta keep my house clean. Turns out, I got a roommate. See, in that house, in one of those rooms, that is one of the places in which God resides. See, on page 25, it talks about the central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. The God of my understanding enters my heart and my life in a way which is indeed miraculous. One of the places in which God resides is in my heart. And if I continue to keep that house clean, if I continue to seek that power, I get to build a deep and profound relationship with that God. And you know, how am I doing? I did not look at the time. How long? I, what do we got? I shouldn't ask that because then people are going to be like, now I want a cigarette and a potty break. Feel free to smoke if you need to. Uh, there's no judgment. Um, but what I'm going to end on, and by the way, if you're wondering, what's the biggest lie we're told in Alcoholics Anonymous? I'll end on this. Ah, you guys know. That's that lie. But I, I'm going to end with this story. And it's a story that I shared when I was out here last year. And it is a story that ties into the power of steps 10, steps 11, and step 12. And it's also a story that ties into our second, second step proposition. If you do not know what our second, second step proposition is, that's fair. That's a whole mouthful. It is that God is everything or else God is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? And I want to help you cross that, cross that bridge. Because all I need to do in step two is reconcile. Is it possible that the God that is the spirit of the universe that created the stars and the oceans and the antelope, is it possible that that power is bigger than my little rinky-dink problem with alcohol? You know what I mean? I kind of softball that. Like, the, the answer is yes. That's what we're going for, a yes. But you see, it asks a question, and I believe that when it asks a question, I need to give an answer. God is everything or else God is nothing. What is my choice to be? And I can look at my life, and we're I was talking about seconds and inches. It is by seconds and inches. I mean, we can look at our lives. Heck, if you want, you don't have to participate. It's consensual. But if you close your eyes, think about those moments in your life where by seconds and inches, you should not be alive here today. By seconds and inches, you should not be sober here today. And let's take a moment and think about those times in our life where we felt that connectedness. We felt a presence beyond something that we've understood. We felt that oneness. We felt that moment of, I'm here, and you are here. And you see, if I've had any, and I mean any, moments like that, I must say God is. And if I have to say God is, I must say God is everything. And I've got this story, and some of you guys know this story. It's a story of a northern flicker. It's this little bird. It's a little woodpecker. They also peck on the ground. You see them on the ground. And you have a look at them, and they're not much to look at. 
You know, a little like me when I got here. They're these gray-brown birds with these little spots on them, and they're just pecking away. And if you got them pecking on your house, you're probably very annoyed by this metaphor already. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, what happens, just like when the, uh, what happens when the northern flicker takes flight, just like when the alcoholic takes flight, it opens its wings, and it is the most incredible vibrant orange color that was always there. You know, you see an Alcoholics Anonymous, what, a, what am I doing? I'm subtracting the things that aren't me. I come to the steps and I'm afraid I'm going to be the hole in the donut. Who am I going to be without my defects? Who am I going to be without this way in which I've lived? Man, the truest version of myself and who I always wanted to be, that vibrant color. And you see, this is a story about steps 10, 11, and 12, and it was two, two or three autumns ago. And y'all know, out in southern Alberta, we don't really get an autumn. We get September and snow, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not great, but we had this beautiful autumn. And I was working with a sponsee of mine, and he, we were going through a set of steps before he went to travel the world. And we're working outside because it was nice out and we could do that. And any time I sit with a sponsee, we always start with a prayer. And what happened is we'd start with that prayer and we'd hear this call of the northern flicker. And then, you know, after a time, we'd continue to work and we'd see a northern flicker. And the more we met, the more that bird was present. And we kind of had this little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, God's here. The sign of the bird was the sign of God's presence. And I know it's like, oh, God, who invited the bird weirdo? She thinks God's in a bird. It's Mark. Mark invited me. Uh, and, I, and of course I don't think God's in a bird, but of course I do. And you see, when I hear a bird, I see a bird. What does it do? It brings my attention to the present moment. And where is God? Where is utopia? Here and now. And you see, we were working through these steps and... And uh, we're getting to the near, we're near the end. We were talking out amends, and you know, he was working through some of his amends, and we were, you know, finishing up the, you know, the 164. And we we're sitting in his car, and you know, doing step work, and we see this northern flicker, and it begins to take flight, and just how the light hits it in the orange, and it was the most incredible, vibrant color. And in that moment, he kind of had that thought. He's like, maybe we should look up if there's any like symbols with this bird you know maybe we should have a google you know like how like an owl can mean wisdom or like death and an eagle is like freedom you know just look it up and i said yeah go ahead and he goes and he looks out his phone and what's coming in is a call from a private number and he looks at me and i say answer it and who was that who was calling him was the police officer that had saved his life you know see in that moment god is everything god is everything and I would have missed it had I not had the privilege of being able to take another alcoholic through this work. God is everything. And you know, I've had people, when I say God is everything, get, get angry and upset. It's like, what about the pain? What about the trauma? What about the, the suffering in this world? And see, I got this other story about how God is everything. But I want you to know is before this story happened, I had been diligent. I, I was actually connecting with my friend Kara many years ago when I was at a low point in my sobriety and I didn't want to be here anymore. And Kara was like, hey, want to do this thing called Steel on Steel? And because you guys taught me, well, the answer is yes. 
And I, Steel on Steel isn't the magic thing. What Steel on Steel did was it allowed me to work the program with the discipline that it requires. It allowed me to take this program as seriously as it needed to. And you know, it was only through diving back into these steps, daily prayer, daily meditation, daily evening review. Man, so often I'm reminded not to sell the power of God short. You know, that little voice in the back of my head that my entire life said, you don't have to be here anymore. That left me. You know, I had a feeling the obsession to drink would leave because y'all were talking about it. But I didn't once think that could happen. But I'm reminded not once in my life did I ever sell the power of alcohol short. So I ought not sell the power of Alcoholics Anonymous short. So the work that I did allowed me to have a solid spiritual foundation. And it was uh, spring two years ago, where I, said, I was going to go to a meeting with the sponsee, and sponsee says they do. She's like, I can't make it last minute. And, and I got a call from my mom, and, and uh, my uncle was in the hospital, and she needed me to go and be there. And I go to the emergency, emergency room, and I'm sitting with my uncle. And the doctor comes in and says, listen, if I can get a blood transfusion, you will have weeks. But if I can't, you will have days. And I sat with my uncle as he tried, and he tried, and he tried. And he couldn't, he couldn't get it to work. And so we got moved. We got moved to, to where my uncle was going. We got moved at first to a private room where my uncle was going to spend his last days. And I sat with him. And when we got to that room, it was, in, it was in the Rocky View Hospital. And we had the, you know, the Glenmore Reservoir and the Rocky Mountains, and it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful view. And we weren't there for maybe 10, 15 minutes, and what flies by the window is a northern flicker. See, God was there. And I want you to know that this is not a fun story. This is not a happy story. You see, that man suffered, and he did not deserve to suffer in the way that he suffered. He was in incredible physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional agony that nothing would touch. And you know, what would happen is, I was with him for the nine days. And right around day two, day three, what happened is, is the pain started to get really bad. And every 20 minutes, he would cry out, help, 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 help. And there was very little that we could do. Every 20 minutes. And in a story like that, where is God in a story like that? And the answer is in my heart. You see, I, I'm make, I make the joke, man, I am not a morning person. I had to have a nap because we got up at 6.30 to make it here. You know, I am not a morning person. But every single time he cried out for help, I got up and I got out of bed, I got into my chair and I did everything I could to help him with a patience and a love and a care that is not my own. And I was able to face some of the, some of the just horrors of the end of his life. You know, I'd wipe the wall for him to show, no, there's no spiders. I was there for him when the pain medication didn't work and he was crying out in spiritual agony. And, I was, and there was times where the paranoia, the near-death delusions, man, he's like, I think you're poisoning my food. And I was able to meet him with a love that is not my own, where is God, but in my heart. And I sat with him as he died. And I sat with him as they came in and they cleaned the body. And then they took him, and I sat in the room, 
And when somebody experiences that near-death delirium, you can't have a lot of like phone calls and you can't, you know, you gotta be quiet, you can't have a lot of light going on. And then, you know, I could not have made it through that time if I was not disciplined in my prayer and my meditation and my evening review. And man, the more that I do that, the more free that I am. But while I was in that room, God showed up. God showed, there were moments of, you know, God's peace where I could feel God with me. And there were moments where God showed up with a sponsor saying, Paige, I need to do a 10-step call. And I would say, yes, I can't take a phone call, but you can text it to me. See, perfect spiritual action is better than no spiritual action. And I would have missed, I wouldn't have been able to make it through that had it not been for the rigorous application of the 12 steps in my life, like my life depends on it. And so as they took out my uncle, I sat in that room. And there was a darkness and a heaviness and a stillness and the, and the light had been drawn, or the shade had been drawn. And I just had this sense of, man, I just got to kind of open the window and take a, take a few moments. And, and I opened the window and not five minutes later, what flies by is a northern flicker. You know, and a friend of mine, it was Cara, shows up and we go, we go to a park and, you know, she's like, is there anything you need? And, you know, we're hanging out and just kind of decompressing from it. And what flies by, so close I could almost touch it, a northern flicker. You know, and I, I want you to know that when I live by self-propulsion, when I live in self-will, the economy, the world that I live in is, it is not fair. It is not fair. This is what I, it's not fair. It's not right. It's not okay. But I don't live in that world today. I live in the economy of grace, and I don't mean that in any sort of religious connotation, a gift I did not deserve. And you see, the day after, I had a sponsee booked, and I sat down with that sponsee. And I, I'm, I'm often pretty transparent, and I said, you know, hey, I just went through this thing. I don't know if I'm going to be okay, and my sponsee says to me, you know, I just, my, my partner, his, his mother was just airlifted to the hospital. I don't know if I'm going to be okay. Be, like, I, I knew I would be okay, but I didn't know how I'd be able to show up. And, and we sat and we worked together. And at the end of our meeting, she's like, man, I just wish I knew what my partner needed. Now I had spent nine days in the hospital. I knew what he needed. I knew what he forgot. You see, in the economy of grace, nothing gets lost. You know, and I, I feel like I'm going over, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to curb the story a little bit and, and shorten it up, and I'll, I'll end up with this. It's for a while there, I was Okay. I wasn't great. I was leaning in. I was leaning into this work. I was leaning into the program. I was leaning in, and I was doing what I could to move through it, and I was okay, and I was okay, and I was okay, and I was okay, and then I wasn't okay. And there was a tear and a pain that was on me that I had not experienced before, and I leaned in, and nothing, nothing would relieve it. And I share that with you because, again, the economy of grace, if I'm going through it, I know I'm not the only one, and I didn't know what to do because nothing I was leaning in, I was seeking outside help, nothing was helping. But what I, what I, and I leaned into God, and I was like, God, what do I need to do? And, and the answer came, face it, be present to it so you can use it to help another person. And you see, that, that is the economy of grace. That I get to be, and you know, I'm sharing this with you too, because I, like at that time, like I want to be little Miss AA. I want to be little Miss Perfect. I want to show up and have all the answers, and I don't. And that too is the economy of grace. 
And I want you to know, I'll, I'll wrap up with this. If you are new today, if you are struggling today, if you are in pain today, the magic of Alcoholics Anonymous is when we let someone help us so that we can help others. Please, if you're hurting, let us help you have this experience. Thank you for letting me share.